Hi everyone, welcome back to First Gen Friends where I amplify the voices of the first generation and share their stories and experiences of what it was like growing up first gen. In today's episode, I have someone very special. I know I say this about everyone, but I mean it. She is a producer, a writer, a storyteller, comedian, podcaster, and philanthropist. Just to name a few things. She's truly talented and I had so much fun interviewing and laughing with her. She also has a podcast called Latinos Out Loud, which she co-hosts with two other people, so make sure to go listen. I can't wait for you to hear her story. This is Rachel La Loca. So my dad is as Brooklyn Jewish as they come, okay? Um, And I say that with a lot of comedy. He's a conservative Jew with lineage from Eastern Europe. So somewhere down the line, my great-great-grandparents hailed from Russia. And then um, my mother is from the Dominican Republic, so I'm Jew-Minican. So I'm Judea Dominicana, eh, but I represent really hard. Uh, You know, someone recently shared a a marketing term with me that I really identify with, but I'm going to like one up a little bit. They shared with me what a 200 percenter is. Are you familiar with what a 200 percenter is? No. Are you just 100 percent both is what I'm assuming? Yes. Yes. So we like as like uh, Latinas, Latinos here in this country, especially, you know, those of us that were born here, we at least I represent with 100% of each of my parents and their heritage. So I do feel 200%. As a matter of fact, I kind of feel 300% because there's a lot going on. There's like this Jewish and Russian heritage. There's the Latina, you know, Dominican heritage. And then there's just those two worlds that live, you know, yin yang inequality with one another inside of me and I feel like I got to represent for that every single day being biracial um but also shouting from the raptors about my Latinidad and also my Russian and Jewish heritage it's what makes me it's what makes me so proud um it's where I came from it's the fabric of my family and we truly embrace being this multicultural smorgasbord of a family we're like un sancocho un chineto and like my children, forget it. They're like, I guess, 400 percent is because um, they are they have Boricua in the mix. So there are these little Jew mini Ricans running around. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I applaud that because I think that's just a microcosm of who, of this country. You know, gone, I think, are the days of like, oh, what what are you? I'm Dominican. Um I don't know. Like, does that really exist anymore? We're a little bit of everything. I'm American. I'm Dominican. I'm Russian. And there's Puerto Rican heritage in my family as well that I'm proud of. You know, what's interesting as you're saying that while you are your 200% in who you are, you're also 200% in life. You're very um, vibrant and you're confident, which I think is really cool. Has it always been that way? Are you always just like confident? Like, how do I get some of that? <laughs> oh my goodness, confidence. Oh wow, that's a that's like a burning question. Cause obviously I, I'm not a robot. I have my days. What am I doing? Is this the right path? Am I being the best mom that I could be? 
girl, please. There are those moments where I also like sort of try to reach for the confidence levels that I, that I aspire to be at. And a lot of that does have to do with my orbit, who is around me, who is feeding me. Like literally my mom feeds me that good food with the TLC, but like also who's feeding me the good energy. You know yeah. what I'm saying? And, and, and I absorb that as a sketch comedian, as a performer, we are trained to absorb energy and regurgitate it through comedy, through our jokes, so that we can either meet or surpass the energy given to us by the audience. So I think that's how I go about life. With that comedy training, I understand that it's basically the same thing in life. I expect what I give and I give what I expect, if that makes any sense. And yeah. I applaud those around me that give me the energy that I need because I'm going to give it right back, if not tenfold. So that's sort of my mantra, how I live. Like just I'm absorbing. I'm always, I've always been a sponge. Um, desde chiquita, you know, like even learning in school, I'm such a nerd. N-E-R-D to the max. I mean, I love game shows. I love trivia. There's, there, I have like so much random knowledge, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, talk about Rosie Perez. Who's the thought with the letter Q, Alex? You know what I'm saying? What is a quiche? What is a quahog? What is a quince? You know what I'm saying? Like, um, not to quote white men can't jump or anything, but I do quote a lot of hip hop and movie references. Get used to it. Um, but I think that's really about the energy. And like, I want this world to be a better place. And I could do it. I could do my part. You know what I'm saying? Even if it's just moving the needle a little bit on the things that I'm passionate about. And at the top of that being having a good attitude, it's attainable. It's, it's very easy. Actually, it's free too. You know what I'm saying? You don't have to pay to be in a good mood. Um, so that, that's sort of where I get it from. And I also think that as Latinas, like we need to live, like really elevate one another. You know, there's this stigma that like Latinas can't work together and then like girls like Meow! you know like, but no as a matter of fact that myth has been debunked for a long time in my book I created something called the hilarious show and it's an all-female comedy show we were on off-broadway stages then we took it digital during the pandemic and can I just tell you something Jamie that first show that we did I heard the skeptics in my head saying, oh, girls can't work together. The girls can't play nice. Yeah. I didn't believe it. But those voices were looming in my head. And then I get to the dressing room and there was a magic in that dressing room. To this day, I really can't describe. Um, it was women empowering women. It was just either like we're backstage helping each other with our costumes, with our hair, getting ready to go on stage, giving each other encouragement working through breathing techniques as we do sometimes before we hit the stage as performers. And there was just something so unique and magical with that first show that I was like, I wanted to keep on doing this. And every show was the same thing. It was like a snowball effect of this, like, I'm going to say, I don't know if I can curse, but like pussy power. You know what I'm yeah. saying? <laughs> it was all about the PP. And I feel like that is what we could do more in this world. Like PP is real. Yeah. PP is like something that is like, we don't even have to talk about it. If we're standing in a group, if we're at an event right now, you and I, let's just build, build each other up. I want to see you win. You know what yeah. I'm saying? And that will then translate into everything else we were talking about before. Where does the confidence, where do you get the confidence? Where do you do that? It starts with yourself, but then I think it's also, it's amplified by those in your orbit. Yeah, I agree. And something that 
you said around this idea that women are catty, especially Latina women. I wonder if that has to do with what we as young girls saw growing up. Because a lot of the times, like I remember being young and my mom, my aunt or her sisters or sister, like there was always a fight. There was always like competition. I mean, at least in my family, I don't know if it was others, but I do feel like when I talk to my friends who are also Latinas, like their mothers were so judgy and the aunts and the sisters, there's always drama. And I mean, I grew up- I grew up watching, you know, telenovela. So, like, everything was, like, drama. So, I think that's where our mind kind of developed. So, now as adults, when I do see it and what you're talking about, it gives me chills because I'm, like, when I do see that or when someone embraces me and it's another Latina woman or woman, I'm, like, oh, this is a safe space. Like, there are people out here who do want to see me succeed, even though maybe I didn't see that as a young girl. Right. I think we need to just walk around with our hearts open, our minds open, and all that, you know, predisposition, all that things that we were subjected to, the chisme, the bochinche. We've evolved as people. We've become smarter. We have information at our fingertips faster. These these are all tools that could make us better people. Um, So I do, I'm all about the evolution also and like empowering my children and, yeah. and passing down that approach, open heart, open mind, you know, be accepting of others. My two boys, they look, can we just concentrate on looks for a second? Like they look very different. I have cafe con leche, okay? Different from and each other or different from you? Different from each other, different from me. I mean, we all kind of look alike. You could tell we're family, but I have one light skin, very fair skin like me. And then I have one darker skin, Donovan, my oldest. And I, I'm really working hard and consciously on letting them know that you don't look different. You're not different. Everybody's different. You know, like if you want to call yourself different, then we're going to have to call the whole world different because we're really all the same. Right. But there's just different iterations. Like we are all the same. And there really is no I want my children to understand that we are not defined by skin color. We are not defined by race. We're not defined by sexual orientation or how we identify, um, but we are identified by who we are as people and what we put out in the world. That's that's very simple, but that's the mantra, and I'm really trying to pass that down to them so they can have a hopefully a better understanding and feel more close to the world than separated. Did you feel different when you were younger? I sure did. I sure did. I grew up in a very non-Latino neighborhood of Brooklyn. I grew up in Sheepshead Bay. And I went to elementary school with very few Latinas. And, you know, I would go to school every day with my hair blown out straight, with big, huge bangs. There was none of this, like, you know, curly fro popping. It's under a hat right now. But I swear, and a red I lip. I didn't even know I had curly hair until I was able to wash it myself. And I saw the like curls forming from the water. And I'm like, what's happening to my hair? (laughs) And I'm like, it's not straight. But my mom (laughs) would straighten my hair every day. And I think a lot of us went through that too, because she was doing it out of the kindness of her heart, trying to make me feel accepted and look like the other girls, the white girls that I went to school with. Okay. And it wasn't until high school 
that I ventured outside of the neighborhood. I thought I was going to be a doctor. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm squeamish AF. Like I can't even look at blood. Um, <laughs> but I convinced my parents that I was going to be a doctor. And I applied for the medical science program at Midwood High School. And wow. that was in Flat- Flatbush, Brooklyn. And I, I got accepted, as did a bunch of my girlfriends. And so it was fine. We all went to Midwood High School. And it was there that I just like did a periscope look around me. And I'm like, oh, my God, Latinas, Dominicans like me, black people, white people, Asian American people. I'm like, I am in heaven. That is where I wanted to be. And I started doing a lot of the extracurricular activities that got me even closer to this eclectic group of people. So talk about vibrant. Um, I was mm-hmm. also surrounded by very many creatives just being involved in the performing arts and chorus and band. Um, I was involved in a little bit of everything, softball, cheerleading. So I really got to like immerse myself in the different groups of people. And I have to tell you, as I was learning more about Latinidad, and, and the countries and being Latina, I learned so much about who I was in those four years because of who yeah. I was surrounded by. And so I was prompted to join the Hispanic Society and the Latin women's group. And that was when I really took a deep appreciation to the culture so much so that like every trip that we took to Dominican Republic in the summer, like before that point, I would kind of just like do what my parents wanted me to do. Sit in the galleria with mm-hmm. my Walkman. Yes, I just dated myself with my Walkman and my little boom box, <laughs> listening to Selena, um, listening to Playero, yeah. reggaeton. And then it wasn't until that point that high school made me embrace like my culture more that I was like, yo, Let's go visit the Cuevas de Pomiel in San Cristobal. Let's go visit the caves where the Taino Indians held their ceremonies and have like, you know, the writings on the, on the cave walls. And let's go to the obelisco that honors Las Hermanas Mirabal on the Malecón in Santo Domingo. Oh, let's go to the Museum of Ambar. There's a Museum of Amber in the Dominican Republic because it's so prevalent and like there are lots of fossils and just like Jurassic Park, things that were preserved in the amber and that's on display in the museum. So I started taking a deeper appreciation and dragging my mom and dad to all these cultural like and iconic places and institutions in the Dominican Republic. And I, I'm not gonna like, I'm not trying to sound boasty or anything, but my mom was enjoying that. Like she was really enjoying herself because it was a revitalization. It was almost a resurgence of her own culture within her through her daughter's eyes. And we bonded. Those summers that we went to go visiting all those museums and such, she felt super Dominican. You know, it was like, que bonita bandera all over again. (laughs) I know I took you on a tour and a whole loop-de-loop, but I I hope I answered your question. Yeah. those lessons, I'm so thankful for those lessons. I'm also thankful for that contrast, if you will, that contrast of growing up in Sheepshead Bay, being in this bubble, in this in this enclave, and then venturing outside of it. So then after high school, I wanted to stay in that neighborhood. I went to Brooklyn College, right across the street. Shout out to CUNY, City University of New York. Bro, bro. Hey. Um, I love my CUNY experience so much. I can't even tell you how attached I am to them. I'm on the alumni association. I got to be an adjunct professor, an adjunct lecturer there, teaching multicultural marketing for three and a half years. Wow. And I recently, 
I recently gave the keynote address at the graduation ceremony for the classes of 2020 and 2021 who didn't have a ceremony. They did something oh called, God. I think it was like a call callback ceremony or something like that where they brought the graduates back to actually give them a ceremony where they could walk down the aisle and you know move their castle and their cap and gown so I was delighted and honored to share the keynote address um, at that ceremony at Brooklyn College so you never know you never know I thought I was just gonna go to school and be out that was it pay off my debt but here I am still very much attached and giving back to an institution that gave me my wings yeah, that's incredible. And where you found yourself, but also people who are similar to you that you could connect with, which is so important. We're all almost operating like on our own island sometimes, yeah. you know, where we feel we're on Dominican Island, you know, I'm, I'm in this alone. But then I just start talking and I meet other Jew Latinos in the most randomest of places. And I'm like, we need to like get a tattoo or something together or like form a tribe. There's only a couple of us. There's only a few of us. We need to like put a QR code on our wrist so that we could just like scan and be like, hi, hi. You know, we outside. Because there's a lot of us out there. But yeah, I think it's really just about opening up the conversations. Um, we are more united than divided. That's a fact these stories come up that you forget about and you're like, Oh, I actually dealt with that too. And you dealt with that. And you, you know, and as adults, now we get to bond over those moments, which I think is really cool. Good point. For sure. Yeah. sure. We almost get to like joke about the past and build for the present. You know, it's like, wait, how could I think that I was just going to stay in that one little enclave of Sheepshead Bay and not look at any other, you know, people that look like me. Um, I, you know, I joke about it, but I will say, if I may, that same frame of thought, you know, we need to really advocate for that in media, you know, because we're still yeah. not seeing ourselves in media. And I like to say that's part of the reason why I do the Latinos Out Loud podcast, which I'm sure why you do First Gen Friends podcast. We have to be able to like showcase our beautiful culture our beautiful people and and really make a case for that because we have such amazing and colorful stories we should not be keeping them to ourselves we mm -hmm. should be seeing them in media television youtube you know i'm i'm really oh, don't get me started i've really become like una like a revolutionary about my i'm a writing revolutionary like i'm really trying to be revolutionary with it because i'm angry yet excited about the opportunity because there is such a void and who else yeah. but me and who else but you jamie who else but us we have we can attain it we have the opportunities now we have the conduits the forums we're creating the forums ourselves and it's really not mm -hmm. that hard to right like mm -mm. you're doing it i'm doing yeah it. i've been thinking about putting a podcast together for a couple years now and I was like how do I do it how do I I'm like google it bitch you know I'm like just figure it out you know like I think I woke up one day I was like what the fuck am I waiting for and I googled it and I found things I asked people I reached out you know and I here I am there you go you did it it really wasn't that hard right I think the hardest part of it is like the consistency you know like you know life gets busy and you're like nope I gotta record this episode I gotta interview Rachel I gotta interview this one 
this is what it is. It's it's laborious at times, but it doesn't really equate to labor in my head. Mm-hmm. I don't know about you. I have it fun. It still feels like it's, it's right. It's a passion project still. Yeah. Um, and it's great that I'm I'm making a living off of it, but it it's more passion than making a living. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like at yeah. least like you know for the goals. Um, I mean, I obviously want to make a living and like feed my children, but at the same time, the passion supersedes, overrides. It will always be the driving force behind Latinos Out Loud. Yeah. And I want to get into uh, Latinos Out Loud, but I have one more question about like your family dynamic and also what was that family dynamic like? And what are some things that you want to do with your children that maybe you didn't have when you were growing up? That's a really great question. Um, I'm super close with my family. We, I have a brother and a sister, an older brother and an older sister. They're nine and 10 years older than me. Yeah, accident. My mom likes to say, uh, you know, blessing. But I'm like nine. It took me a while to do the math. And then my brother would always tease me as a child. He'd always be like, yeah, whatever, Rachel. At least it wasn't an accident. And then one day I'm like, wait a minute. She she nine years older. He's ten years older. Was I not planned? And and I confronted my mom about it. And she was just like, "Bueno, mija, mira, pero you know, I'm here now." Yeah. Um, but the dynamic is my older, my we're very close. My sister, my brother, and I. Um, my brother's in Florida. My sister lives in North Carolina. I'm still here in New York. Okay. And then my dad. My father is 81 years old and my mother is 75. Wow. And yeah, they still, you know, they're doing their thing. Yeah. And they're cancer survivors, COVID survivors, shit, you know, Brooklyn survivors. And they're not going (laughs) anywhere. (laughs) No, no, they're not. And the dynamic is we, I mean, I can explain that all day. I mean, we get on each other. We're all comedians. I'm all, like the only official professional comedian. <laughs> like, you know, that's my job. But everybody in the family is a comedian. Um, we joke, you know, Thanksgiving, this is what comes to mind. Every Thanksgiving, Jamie, te lo juro por mi madre. Every Thanksgiving since I can remember, my dad will tell the story of how I was conceived on Thanksgiving. Uh, basically, you know, and he's, he's done it with like new boyfriends at the table. And I'm just like, Oh God, no. Oh God, no. You know, like, tell me. Uh, It's just, you know, the way he does it is probably more vulgar. I'm going to, I'm going to like whittle it down a little to make it more like, you know, podcast friendly. Um, now basically, you know, he talks about how they lived in a very small apartment on ocean parkway in Brooklyn. And my mom was home making the butterball turkey. And my dad had to go to the store to get something that they had forgotten to purchase for Thanksgiving. He double parked the car. He ran upstairs to bring what he had to bring. And I guess my mom looked beautiful, bended over, taking the turkey out of the oven in her, like, you know, 1980s apron or 70s, I should say, in her 70s apron. And yeah, boom, I was completely right like then and there. Uh, and then they got a parking ticket because he was double parked. Yeah. Hey, how did you know? Did you hear the story already? No. So then he goes into the portion of complaining to me, like as if I should pay for that parking ticket or something. He's like, then I got to pay for that parking ticket because I was double parked. But here we are with Rachel at the Thanksgiving dinner table X That's amount amazing. of years later. 
yeah, so that's the type of dynamic. We, um, we definitely like to pass down the oral traditions. I love hearing stories about everything. My father will share stories with me about his family members in the Holocaust and what it took to go through Ellis Island and the fact that my last name at one point was Straussovitz. Wow. And they cut that shit off. They came through Ellis Island, my Jewish family. And they're like, eh, too long. Not American enough. We're going to cut off the V-I-T-Z and call you Strauss. Now, let me just tell you, it sounds messed up, but thank you. Thank you, Ellis Island. Because if not, <laughs> I would have been Rachel and Straussovitz Muniz. And there's no way that there's a form with that many boxes to put all those letters. No way. Oh, no my way. gosh. I would have had to, like at the DMV for an extra form, you know, right on the back. So thank goodness I'm not Strauss Vitunis and I'm just Strauss Muniz. True talk. <laughs> oh my God, it's hysterical. I'm very appreciative for how I, I grew up, for sure. And we're, yeah. very, we're a tight-knit family. So if there's anything different that I'd like to do. So, so when I was growing up, I was very confused about religion. My dad... Jewish. My mom converted to Judaism, but still had strong Catholic beliefs. You know, we went to the Catholic cer ceremonial parties, you know, we would go, she would go, I, I was the youngest. So my brother and sister were out doing their thing, you know, I'd go visit family, I'd go to the quinceañeras, I'd go to the bautismos, like all the, you know, baptisms, mm -hmm. um, the holy communions on that side of the family. And I saw her. And I saw her still have, you know, the belief and the prayers. And I was mad confused. Like, what religion am I? How do I pray? For the longest, I would, like, see kids go out, you know, release time and go do their Catholic religion classes. Yeah. And my, Jew my Jewish friends were being bought and bar mitzvahed and going to Hebrew school. And here I was doing none of the above, but just sort of, like, confused. I always had a strong faith with God. I always knew to turn to God, right? But for a long time, I felt like I didn't know how to talk to God. So recently, in 2014, I just started seeing signs, literally signs in my neighborhood for the right of Christian initiation classes for adults. So I took RCIA classes in 2014, and then I was baptized, received my Holy Communion and Confirmation all at once. Bing, bang, boom. In the name of the Father, <laughs> the Son, and the Holy Spirit, I'm Catholic. And I, as an adult. And ever since then, I've felt more streamlined. Does that make any sense? Like, yeah. when I need to talk to God, doesn't matter where I am. Like, if I'm in a church, great. If not, if I'm right here in, in Industry City in Sunset Park, Brooklyn, I'm like, knock, knock. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, I'm going to start praying the Our Father or the serenity prayer when there are things that are out of my control and I'm just praying yeah. for peace. I've learned these prayers, and I'm not saying Roman Catholicism is the right way or the only way, but what I am saying is learning about religion in, in more in depth and more, you know, I guess as an adult, it was really eye-opening for me, and I would like for my children to understand religion a little bit better. I would love for them to make their own choices mm -hmm. like I did. Buddhism, you know, maybe not this young. And when they're, you know, early, you know, young adults and they have the need for something different maybe. But right now, both of them, they've been baptized. 
and I'm really trying to teach them the Roman Catholic ways of those beliefs that I truly believe in. Because I'll be the first to say, I don't believe everything in the book. You know what I mean? Yeah, of course. I have a strong faith that guides me to make the right decisions. And I want them to also use faith in guidance to make strong decisions themselves. That's really the only difference I would say if I could call out. And wow, I've never really called that out until now. Um, That was a great question that gave me some self-realization right now, Jamie, and that, yeah, like, I guess I, not to be like amazing grace, but yeah, I once was lost, but now I'm found. And I, I don't want my kids to ever be lost in that religion sauce. Yeah. I want them to have the guidance and understanding that you can talk to God whenever you need to. And he's always listening. And here's some prayers and hymns and songs that could also, also get you there, get you there closer. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah, it's beautiful. It does make sense. And what's, sticking out for me is the fact that for you it sounds and correct me if I'm wrong but that religion was that identity piece where you had the most trouble given that your parents were from two different races and backgrounds and it wasn't so much as what am I like you had more of an identity crisis I'll say with your religion not your actual heritage yes doctor thank you that's exactly (laughs) what it is uh, Dr. Jamie, Dr. Jamie at first friend Jen. Dr. Jamie, thank you for being a great therapist. Like you nailed it. That's exactly. <laughs> okay. Well, that's just what I'm seeing. Oh, clearly, I, I'm fresh off my therapy session yesterday. Um, yeah. <laughs> for me, that identity crisis piece was because I wasn't Latina enough for the Latin kids who came from Dominican Republic, came from El Salvador, came from Mexico and learned English in high school, but I wasn't white enough for the Americans and for the people that I was growing up with in this you know, very white town. So I was a minority in that situation. So I, my whole entire life, I've always been in this, like, where do I belong? Who do I belong with? Right. That was kind of my thing. And then I married a white man. And I was like, like anything you would do, it's like, who, who are you? Like you're trying to be that a green guy. define you. Yeah. Right. That, that, who you marry does not define who you are. If anything, we should celebrate that. I celebrate the fact that in 1966, in a time where we did not see many biracial couples, let alone different, uh, you know, couples with different religious backgrounds, getting together, let alone being married. I always shout my father and my mother out for that. They were rebels. They were also revolutionaries in their own space because it just wasn't happening. It was frowned upon. And they actually got married by a rabbi. This is so crazy. No rabbi in Brooklyn was willing to marry them because my mother was dark-skinned Dominican and hailed from a Roman Catholic background, even though she was willing to convert to Judaism. So they had to do a ton of research. They had to ask ask friends of friends of friends. And they found a rabbi. I believe his name was Rabbi Eichhorn, E-I-C-H-O-R-N. And he was in Manhattan. And they came all the way to Manhattan from South Brooklyn. They met with Rabbi Eichhorn, and he was gladly happily obliged to marry them because that was his shtick, not to use a Jewish phrase, but like that was his thing. He was set 
His mission was the unifying of interfaith couples. He traveled the world. He went on to write numerous books. He became an acclaimed rabbi. They brought him over to Europe during World War II to actually marry some of the soldiers with their interfaith and you know um, wives of other races. And it, it was incredible to me. I only know this and it's deep research because when my parents were celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary, Wow. I did some research and I reached out to the Icorn family to see if their son would marry my parents again. And I, I started talking to the wife and Rabbi Icorn passed away and his son was very sick. He was very ill. He wasn't able to conduct the ceremony. But I thought to myself, wow, this, these people were ahead of their time. Yeah. It's not like I'm looking around Industry City right now. And right now I'm looking at at least three three couples that get them on the podcast get them over you know what i'm saying but like <laughs> it just goes to show you that it's so it's so much more you know prevalent than it was in the 60s yeah. and, and i think that that's really shaped our family dynamic as well in yeah. that don't be afraid don't be afraid to do what you want you want to marry i mean look <laughs> my dad is so funny like he didn't know who i was going to bring home or who the father of my children were going to be but when, when I introduced him to their dad, you know, my father almost looked at me like, like proud in a way, because I did what he did. I, I hooked up with someone that does not have my skin complexion. He's way darker than me. He's not the same race. He's not the same background. He's Puerto Rican. And I didn't, I don't see any of that. I really yeah. don't. I don't see any of that. And I don't think my dad does either. So, you know, I think he's proud of me for that. So Latinos Out Loud. I'm so excited about this topic because I listen to that and I literally feel like I'm in, I'm there with you guys. Like the things that you guys talk about, just, it's almost, it's, it is unfiltered. It's hysterical. Are you all comedians or just you? <laughs> and they kind of match your energy. Great question. So there are three hosts of Latinos Out Loud. It's Jamie Fernandez and myself. We are sketch comedians. We used to be a part of this comedy troupe called Room 28. We performed off-Broadway stages internationally in the comedy festival circuit. Um, we were on a show called Bring the Funny Together on NBC. So we've done that. We have that, you know, on stage training of just being witty and funny and improvisers. Um, I also went to comedy school you know I was a diversity scholarship recipient two times okay flex flex um, I went to UCB and I took a lot of my comedy classes sketch comedy writing and improv and character development and um, so we are this the two comedians but then Frank is another host and he is who I like to say our resident conspiracy theorist okay I, I have Sam gullible I believe almost every theory that he brings to the table. I kind of think the earth is flat, just saying. Um, yeah, and those chemtrails and all that, and the towers. You've got to listen to the show. Uh, but um, So we are friends for almost 20 years, the three wow. of us. And that, talk about dynamic. That dynamic is always the foundation. It's always what we fall back on. 
you know, we, we talk about the topics that matter to most as Latinos. We like to tell people that we are the Latinos out loud. You don't have to be Latino to listen to Latinos out loud because yeah. we talk about there's a myriad of topics that we cover that is like they, they are universal. You know, we want everyone to listen and maybe we'll talk about some things through the lens of Latinidad, but that's not going to be... Um, you know, a, that shouldn't be a deal breaker. Like, I really, I'd love everyone to listen because we're also educating and uplifting. And again, remember what I was talking about before about not seeing ourselves in media um, to the extent that we should just yet. But these conversations, especially with those that maybe don't understand our traditions, our folklore, our music or what have you, if we put them on, if we build it, they will come. Our shit is John Blaze. Yo, merengue is John Blaze. Reggaeton, dembo, all of it is like John Blaze. Like, we have such a dope culture. We really need to share it more and invite the allies in like you did marrying your non-Latino husband. Like, let's invite them in more. I think as Latinos, we could be more on, like, you know, rolling out of the red carpet a little bit. Let's roll out the alfombra and be like, yo, you should be down with us and this is why. You know? Yeah. Do you feel like it's more welcoming welcomed now than it used to be or do you still think that there is a lot of work to be done i think that there i think both i think that there's a lot of work to be done because i for one am still not satisfied i don't think the country or the world really really like truly understands how amazing of a people we are like because if they did you know, the Hollywood executives would be greenlighting more shows that talk about us yeah. and elevating more actors, more Afro-Latina actors in the blockbusters. Um, so we're not there yet. But I think that we have made a lot of traction. And I think there are organizations in place that help us, you know, organizations like the National Hispanic Media Coalition, NHMC, the festivals that are out there that are, are also telling our stories the New York Latino Film Festival just wrapped, the Los mm -hmm. Angeles Latino Independent Film Festival, La Lid. All these institutions and organizations are, are helping push the stories forward. So we have a lot of work to do. But I also urge, you know, I urge people like, you know, you and I or the future Jamie and Rachels who maybe aren't in touch with these orgs or know the work that has to be done to step up, to step up and help us level up. We're yeah. not going to level up unless everybody steps up. Mm -hmm. So there's work to be done, but we get there. I mean, I think the more, the generations that are, you know, how can I explain? The more acculturated, the more we are embracing of the fact that as American as we may become, we are still 100% Latina at the yeah. same time. That 200% yeah. rule that we were talking about earlier. If we embrace that unapologetically, we'll go double time. You know what I'm saying? But that, I think, is sort of like the tone. We're seeing more and more empowered Latinas out there, right? I've worked yeah. for a couple of... Um, I don't really like to talk about this too much because it's something that I do for me and not to broadcast. But I also think it's important to volunteer. Um, and I, I carve out a lot of time and effort to volunteer. And everything that I put my name on, I want to just 
be able again to move that needle in that space. So volunteerism is also something that is a tool to help us better, you know, um, reach the goals. I've done some work with the violence intervention program, which is a non-for-profit for domestic violence awareness, and they have shelters in New York City, and they focus a lot on the language barrier that still is a divide so that when an NYPD officer who doesn't speak Spanish shows up to a domestic violence call and that woman only speaks Spanish, that right there is a divide. That right there is a problem. So like the uh, organization advocates for like NYPD officer training for more in language and in culture materials, pamphlets. If you go to the website VIP Mujeres right now, it's anonymous. And you can you could toggle and choose which language. So volunteerism. Um, I no longer work on the board of directors for that org, but I am now. I shifted gears a little bit, and my philanthropic initiatives are now steering more towards women's reproductive rights, infertility awareness, um, and just talking about those taboo topics that Latinas aren't really programmed to talk about, like miscarriage and having trouble and trying to conceive. I had a really hard time. And I swear it's like both sides of my family, you know, on the Dominican side, everybody's like a fertile Mirta. And on the Jewish side, everybody's a fertile Myrtle. So I'm like fertile Myrtles and fertile Mirtas all around me popping babies, except for me, I feel kind of broken. Yeah. I also felt broken as a Latina. I'm like, wait a minute. Yeah. I thought Latinas are supposed to be procreating like boom, 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 black work. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like my cousin is on her eighth baby and she's under 30. You know, I, 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 those are the things that I'm, you know, I'm out there in the streets talking about. And I hope, I only hope and pray that I'm helping the cause and moving the needle for all of us for representation for a, a clearer understanding of our cultural needs. You know, there are needs. There are needs for brands. Let's just flip it to marketing real quick. There's the need for brands to speak to us in, not necessarily in language, but in culture. Mm-hmm. Latinos, Latinas, A-E-O-X-Y-Gs, we are brand loyalists. And so it's really important that these brands continue to have a conversation with us. And a lot of them do not. We're still seeing these Fortune 500 companies that are not catering their marketing messaging or their in-store displays or, you know, looking at the store demographics to see where their product should be. They're still doing that. I'm like, like, how are you adapting to the evolution of Latinos in this country? And you're still doing the same marketing from 1945. Um, so I think just to like, I know I I go on these like long tangents, but I hope the message is coming across that like volunteerism, talking about it and, and just being vocal as Latinos, I think will help the cause that we're trying to push forward here. I don't feel complete without doing something to move our people forward and I'm not, you know, with no compensation. I'm not trying to get, I'm trying to just do right. Mm-hmm. I have one last question for you. Sure. If you could give advice to your younger self, knowing everything that you've been through in your life, in your fabulous life, what would it be? I, I girl, I always ask this question and I've never been asked it. <laughs> 
this is the first time I've asked this question. Okay, so real quick, um, we're going on 300 episodes of Latinos Out Loud. I've asked this question almost every single episode that we've had a guest. So I don't know, do the math, like 200, 250 times. This is the first time someone's asked me. Um, so you must have a good answer then if you just like, what would I No, I'm, thinking, I'm like, okay, wait, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give the most genuine answer that comes to mind. I mean... You, you kind of said a word before confidence. Confidence is not something that I was always in the surplus of. Okay. I, I never was, I would never call myself like, you know, low self-esteem. Like I always had the confidence, you know, that was Mm -hmm. just ingrained in me, but let's just get granular for a sec. I don't know if I always had the confidence to make bold decisions because that takes a very unique kind of confidence to make bold decisions. You know, I had the confidence to make the decisions that came to me, like you're going to go to high school, apply to a good one. You're going to go to college, apply for a good one, you know, study for your SATs, you know, like, but bold decisions, like in 2015, when I left my corporate marketing career of 17 years to pursue comedy, to go from corporate to comedy, that's bold. That's bold AF because I'm still like, I took such a pay cut. You have no idea. Like, I took a pay cut. I took a, a status cut. I just start, I had to start not from scratch, but I had to like go back to basics a little bit and build. But I looked at it as a positive. I wanted to do that. You know, when you like buy one of those DIY kits and you're like, who needs an electrician? Like I could do a DIY, fix my lamp cord myself like you know you youtube the video you buy the right tools from the hardware yeah. store and you do it yourself and it makes you even more proud when you complete it right as long as you don't electrocute yourself when you turn on the lamp and <laughs> i'm like i'm really proud of the the confidence but advice that i would give to myself as a younger rachel la Lopa, as a rachel la loquita i would probably say to myself go for it what are you afraid of the worst thing that can happen is somebody says no, or you you don't get it on the first time. In any in anything that you do, like not to quote Aaliyah, but if at first you don't succeed, dust yourself off and try again. Like I don't know if I was so in tune with that as a young loca. I was pretty much like, oh, I didn't get the lead in the play, so I don't know if I'm gonna try out next year, you know, like or I didn't make it to first clarinet. I might quit the band, you know, that, that there was that kind of bold decision-making or like confidence rather that, that level of confidence that I wish I could have just told myself like, girl, suck it up, suck it up and get out there and don't be afraid. Confidence is in us. You can only chip away at it. You know what I'm saying? So don't chip away at it keep building on it. It's in us already. It's not something you go to the store and you buy. It's not something you be like, I, I have to go somewhere and make some confidence. I need an oven and some dough. Like that's not how you create it. It's in us. The only thing we could do to ourselves is chip away at it. And that's the negative, right? Let's just continue to, to build at it, to make mountains and, and summits and like climb those bad boys. Um, I wish I would have just told myself very simple, just go for it. Only positives are going to come out of it. 
I got it now though. I got it now. Cause now I go for 